You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach, and this is episode two. Today we're going to be listening to a keynote by author and speaker Emily Freeman called The Art of Everyday Living. Emily gave this talk at our first The Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering. She's a fellow creator from my hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina. She's authored several books, including one that I really love and recommend called A Million Little Ways, Uncover the Art You Were Meant to Live. You can learn more about Emily Freeman at makersandmystics.com or at emilyfreeman.com. Well, the easy thing for me to do this morning would be to stand up here and try really hard to impress you. I'm not saying it would be easy to impress you, but I'm saying it would be easy for me to try hard to do that. The hard thing for me to do is to stand up here and simply do what I believe Christ asks each one of us to do every single day of our lives, which is to simply show up and be who I fully am in your presence and offer to you the little that I have in my hands. And really as artists, isn't that what we do is that we show up as we are, no matter what's gone wrong, no matter what we're holding, no matter uh, how difficult the day has been and we're asked to show up and to offer what you have. And so today, I, I, that's really my greatest hope. That's really the only thing I can do anyway. Um, and it's a good thing for me to just right out the gate, let you know um, that I had another option, which is to really try hard to make you think I'm awesome. But already, that's not going to happen. So let's just move on. About four years ago, um, my sister-in-law, her name is Mercedes, she was pregnant with her second daughter. And my husband and I were at the beach during the time when it was around the time when it was her due date for the baby to come, but we just felt like we needed to come home early. Glad we did because the day we got home, she went into labor. And so we were able to go to the hospital the day that my little niece came into the world. And my husband and kids and I, we all went there. And I don't know if any of you, we live in Greensboro and she was born at Women's Hospital. And so they have that waiting room where you can wait. And then there's the window where you look through and you can see the babies in their little little areas. So cute. So we walked in and I remember I had my camera because I'm like the only one in the family who still has the big, you know, DSLR. Everybody else has their phone. And so I had my camera and I walked in and I wanted to get a really good glimpse of her the first time we laid eyes on my little niece. And I saw as I was in there, my brother-in-law sort of leaned over her little bassinet and inspecting her from her dark head of hair to her little pink heel. And I crowded in there and I, and I got my camera right on our first glimpse. And I thought, there she is. It was as if she was familiar. It was as if she belonged with us. And I know that any of you who are parents, you have this baby and you look and you're like, you're, you're inspecting the baby and you're like, it's got my eyes, he's, he's got my hair and he's got his daddy's lips. And that's what we did with Anna, my little niece. And we looked at her and we thought, oh, that the shape of her face is just like her grandmother's, which by the way, one of her grandmothers is because my sister-in-law is from Spain. Her, her mother is, you know, came from Spain for the birth, speaks zero English. And so the only thing we could do would be like, she looks like you, you know, and we're trying to like do it. And she's like this. And it's so funny because she literally looks just, I mean, like the face, the shape of the face is super cute. But anyway, so we're trying to find all the ways this new baby, how she relates to us. We all wanted a piece of her. And isn't that what we do when babies come into the world? But in a way I look back and I think, I wonder why we do that. Because here's the thing. Yes, she bears a bit of our image, but she also bears the image of God. And not only that, she brings something of herself here too. And so as I looked at her and later when I thought about it, I thought it's as if she's saying, here I am, a tiny wonder. See me as I am. 
accept what I have to offer. I'm here new. And yes, I bear your image and I bear God's image, but I bring something of me and it's something that's never been here before. She arrived in the world this way and so did I and so did you. But the truth is that we don't live like that's true a lot of the time. Is even though the very, the very truest thing about me and the truest thing about you is that we were made in the mind of God, created in Christ Jesus. Yet we live as though we forget. We live, we live a lot like a woman who emailed me when I was starting to write on my blog. I have a blog, it's called Chatting at the Sky. And I started to write a lot of these thoughts about art because not just... Um, not just art like, like we traditionally would think of it, but art in the way that I know those of you in this room understand it, which is it isn't simply what I do with my hands, it's the way I live my life. And I started writing about this on my blog and there was a woman who emailed me as she read that post. And she said, she might've left a comment and then she emailed me after because we got into a conversation because what she said was, um, you know, she talked about her master's degree. She talked about her family. She talked about her children. And then in the PS, it was literally like the last line of her comment. Um, she said, um, by the way, whenever I see someone writing, I wish I was doing that. And, and it was funny. It was like, that's all she said. And so I wrote her back because see, I see my job in the world is to poke the art awaken people. And so I couldn't leave that alone. So I had to write her back. And I, all I said, one line was simply, well, why aren't you doing that then? And so she wrote me back this big, long email of why she couldn't write, why it was impossible for her to write. And this, the one line that I remember what she said was this, and I will never forget it, and now you won't either, because I'm about to tell you. She said, this season of my life won't necessarily afford me the pleasure of indulging in my wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. That's what she said. Wildest dreams, people. Writing, right? Why? Why do we so often assume that to pursue the very thing that we want to pursue has to only come at the expense of all of our responsibilities? Why do we assume that that has to be the case? Now, I'm so glad that she was honest with me that she said that because I think that's the way a lot of people think. I know I've lived a lot of my life that way, um, thinking that, that life is, a, is, is two colors, is black and white, and there's a right way and there's a wrong way, and I have to live the right way. I call it the try-hard life, and I lived a lot of my life with my shoulders tight, like I'm like, I got to do this right, and I call it, I, I was a good girl. I lived life like a good girl. I grew up in the church, and I did things the right way, and that's the way I live my life, and let me tell you what, there's no art in that kind of living there's all there is, 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 is black, is white. I'm, I'm either wrong or I'm right. And there's nothing in between. There's no shades of gray and there's certainly no color. Well, I lived that way for many years and I approached my life as if it were a list rather than a lyric. And then grace began to teach me that list living looks a lot like robot living and it looks nothing like the gospel. Christ's life was a lot more like art than technique. And I'm not saying that technique can't also be art, but you can't have technique alone. Not in life and not in art. In the very beginning, the first words of scripture, in the beginning, God created. It's the very first thing we know about God. And it cannot be said that he, he, he puts creativity or artistry as a weekend hobby only. No, no, it was priority number one. 
the very first thing we know about God. And then the very first thing we know about us is that in, in Genesis 1:27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. It's one verse. It says created three times, just so you, in case you missed that. And here's what I love. He didn't create us with, with tools like a hammer and a nail on a conveyor belt. Instead, he used the intimate tools of breath and of voice. And he made us in his image to bear his image into the world. It's the most beautiful art project I can imagine. When God made art, you and I came out. Now we've all seen artists that we admire. Some of you are artists that you admire one another and we've seen the beautiful work of an artist and we can accept that yes, that person, that person's work has moved me. But we can also probably remember a time we've heard a musician or we've seen some type of art that doesn't move us at all, even if the person is technically skilled. There's a difference. Somehow we see that there's a difference between those two ways of doing art. And yes, they may be technicians, but that's not all we need. It's because technicians don't move us. Artists move us. My girls took a couple of months, for real, they, they didn't stick with it, of gymnastics. And so I was one of those moms who sat in the very top of the bleachers at Tumblebees. It's really hot up there. And I don't know if any of you moms has done this, but they, the bleachers are like, like you, everybody vies to get the ones in the very top so that you can lean against the wall. Otherwise you're like balancing and having to use your, you know, your core muscles to sit just to watch. I'm a lazy person. Anyway, um, so I'm watching these kids, you know, you, you can see the whole, everything, you know, all the kids doing their gymnastics. And my girls were in like the beginner class over here, but it was much more fun to watch, you know, the, the girls who you could tell would compete and do things. And, and I watched this one girl with a coach and, and the co they were doing the same move, I don't know the words, over and over again. And she was getting better and you could watch her get better. But I thought as I watched her, she's so good. And she's so strong. But I tell you what, if she goes to compete, it's like the judges might give her really high scores, but the audience won't be moved because it's too perfect. It's almost too, it's just, it's just the right way in black and white and do the moves. And it's, it's only when she puts some of herself into it that it becomes art. And isn't it that way with us too? Isn't it that way with our lives? And so I wrote this woman back who wrote me that this season of my life won't necessarily afford me the pleasure of indulging my wildest dreams, that woman. I wrote her back and, and, um, and I, said, I said, well, let me just ask you this. Could it be possible that writing has been put within you because God wants to bring it out? Could it be possible that you pursuing that thing that's within you that you most want to do is, is not selfish, but the selfish act is actually you leaving it inside? Could that be possible? Could it be possible that, that your art, whatever it is that's within you, is actually a daily grace that God means for somebody else? Could it be possible? Because see, as a writer myself, and I can only speak from my own perspective and my own lens, but because she said, I wish I were writing and I'm a writer, I'm like, I can speak to that. Because here's the thing, I know that it's not actually about the writing itself. It's about me becoming more fully myself. And I had some idea many years ago that writing played a part of that. And I want to call my writing my art, but the truth is, and I believe the gospel says that I am the art and writing is the evidence. My writing, my work is the evidence that I, the artist, created in the image of the artist, capital A, has been able to now, I can now receive what he has offered me and I can offer it 
as an offering, as an artist myself. And this is simply the evidence that I have come fully alive in the presence of God. A realization of freedom always leads to artistic expression because free people move into the world as who they most fully are. Now, I believe there's a direct correlation between the way I live my life and the work I have to offer. And so today's title of this talk is The Art of Everyday Living. And I'm so glad because I believe there is an art to everyday living. I think we can make choices that uh, are either choice of the robot or of the list or a choice of the artist to live life like a lyric. And so today I just want to offer seven ways. Um, My book has a million little ways. No, I do not list one million ways although that would have been amazing. Um, But that's your job. That's your job to live out the million little ways to live art. But I'm gonna just give you seven. And the idea is there's one for every day of the week. If any of this interests you, P.S. by the way, um, I have written a a free ebook with all of these seven ways in it that if you have a, a clipboard, you can put your email address on it. I'll send you the ebook. It's just everything I'm about to say, but in written form ish. I mean, not everything, but you know, it's the idea. It's the seven ways. So just, that's just a little to put that out there, but seven ways. Now, when I say this, I really hesitate because I did, uh, I did live as a good girl for so long. And I don't know if anybody else can relate to the good girl life or the good guy life, whatever. I know there's men in here too. Um, we tend to gravitate toward lists I don't know, anyone? I know you're all artists and junk, but come on, let's check out the list and get this thing done. So I, I go that way. And so when I speak in front of people, I always hesitate and I always feel like I wanna sort of, you know, tell you ahead of time that my lists are more like a suggested rhythm than a list to follow. Um, you know, if you think about like um, the rhythm of your own home or the rhythm of your family, I have a friend who has five kids and we went to her house to visit and her kids age and range from, uh, range in age from, I don't know, six at the time to teens. And let me tell you, the rhythm in her house is something. Like there is a rhythm to her house and it's lots of movement and it's really loud. And then you go to my parents' house who don't have kids in the house anymore. They do have a little dog, but you know, whatever. He has his own rhythm. But you go to their house and their house has a much different kind of rhythm, but it's still a rhythm and it changes with the seasons, but you can kind of feel it and you know what it is. And so when I list these seven, seven ways, it's just simply a suggested rhythm and it's not any order or any rule. It's just sort of a, you could probably come up with seven different ones, but here's the first one. The first one is be where you are. The art of everyday living begins right where you are. Um, one of my favorite writers, he, he, his name is Larry Crabb. Uh, he's an older fellow. I really, really respect his work. And he says this, God meets us where we are, not where we pretend we are. How can we make art at all if we aren't first where we are and admitting where we are? Living, and, and let me just say this, living art doesn't necessarily mean loving where you are. It means being where you are. I worked for several years at UNCG and I was there. I went to, I went to UNCG to major in um, educational interpreting for the deaf. So I was a sign language interpreter and normally at things like this, I would be signing everything and not speaking. But anyway, so I, I, I signed and I did that. And I, I went to school for that. And then I ended up getting a job there and I worked 40 hours a week as their um, interpreter coordinator. I was pretty good at my job. I didn't love it. And after a while, I kind of started to like really strongly not love it. 
And I remember I would make lists during work of all the things I'd rather be doing than the job. They paid me to do this, by the way. <laughs> but I remember writing on a list, and I still have one on a list, because I didn't just write a list, I drew pictures. And one of my pictures was laundry. I'm not kidding you. I would rather be doing laundry than working here right now. But I wonder, you know, I wasn't willing to show up where I was. I showed up, but I wasn't fully present. It's hard to show up when you're not crazy about the place where you are. And that's just a kind of a bum job. But what about if the place where you are is you have a sick parent you're caring for, or you've just been diagnosed with something that you don't know what to, how to even face this? Or what about the place where you are is you've just lost your job? Living art doesn't mean loving where you are. It simply means being where you are. Where are my feet planted today? For me, it's important to regularly think about how the verse that says, uh, in Christ we live and move and have our being. But the thing is that he, he, we have our being where we actually are, not where we wish we were instead. And so for me, it's important for, to, to think about, okay, where, where am I today? My dad does this thing where he walks his little yippy dog and he calls it setting the calendar and he walks a dog and whatever day it is, he's like, okay, today is February 22nd, Saturday. And he looks at the time and he just sort of settles into the day where he is. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get going so fast and I'm like, what day is it? Oh, it's spring now. I didn't know. I wasn't paying any attention. I just wonder when we get really present to where, where we are, here is where we live. Here is where my people live. Here is where we do our life. That their corner of my sofa is my favorite corner in the whole house. That Kmart table is one we've had since my children were little. And that stain right there that I yelled about because they did glitter on the table and now it won't come off, that's there, but that's there because this is where we live our life. And we do it here among our people. This is our house, but this is also the house of God. This is where our art comes from. It's where we are, not where we wish we were instead. So consider your daily activity and never, ever, ever preface it with the word just. And I could go on and on about this. You are not just a mother. You are not just a banker. You are not just anything. There's no such thing. Consider where you are. What do you see? Who sits with you? Who stands up for you? Who are you standing up for? What is most true about you today? Be where you are. Number two, use what you have. My son, uh, I walked into the kitchen one day. My son, he was in kindergarten at the time. He's now in first grade. So this is last year. And he was sitting at the kitchen table and he had a stack about this high of white, clean white paper. And he had a jar about this big of crayons. And he had a pile about this high on the floor of crumbled up paper. He was trying to draw an airplane and it was not going so great. So he would draw the airplane and it didn't look right. So he'd crumble the paper and throw it away. And then he drew another one. And I thought to myself, as I walked in, I wonder what would happen if I gave him two crayons and one piece of paper. Guess what? He'd have to get creative. He would have to use what he had to make something. And if he chose to crumble it up, it'd be over. 
I often think that to put a limit on something is gonna make it worse. But the truth is we need limits to make beautiful work and beautiful art. The limits tell us things we need to know about ourselves. They, need to te- they tell us where to draw the line or where to push. They sometimes tell us what we're not good at. And sometimes that can be discouraging because we think if only I had limited favor, if only I had uh, unlimited favor or unlimited time or unlimited opportunity, if only... If only I had more money or more resources or more support, if only I had more fill in the blank. And we think limits are what is keeping us down. But think about the way God created. You want to think about it? He came down from everything and he became nothing. He poured his himself, his divinity into the confines of a human person. And he submitted himself to the laws that he created, the laws of gravity and of time. And he walked among us and lived among us within the limits of humanity. And he made the most beautiful art any of us have ever experienced. Christ dying, rising again. He limited himself and it was only possible because of those limits. So don't ever say you don't have enough fill in the blank. You have everything you need. You have everything you need to make art, not just to paint, but for the relationship you're in. You have everything you need. Where desire and limitation intersect, there you'll find the perfect opportunity to make art. Our limits can be gifts if we let them be. Use what you have. Number three, practice courage. I like to say, and I know I've heard this before, that um, courage is moving even in the midst of fear, and that's true. But for some of us, courage might simply be be willing to admit what it is you fear in the first place. Sometimes um, my most fearful thing is just simply say out loud in an empty room what I'm afraid of. And so courage might, for you today, might simply mean showing up even as you hear all the reasons not to. For example, uh, when I wrote my first book, I... I'd written a book, and one of the things required of you when you write books, just so you know, is you have to give these horrible radio interviews. Um, They're not horrible, but they are to me, because I hate doing it. First of all, I hate talking on the phone. Second of all, I hate the listing thing. And when you're on a radio program for 10 minutes, the radio interviewer wants to make it easy, and they want to find, okay, so Emily, what are the three ways to discover the art that's alive within you? What? Like, there are not three ways. You know, and so I'm like, want to give me 40 minutes, and I'll tell you, but they're like, we've got a commercial. So I just, there's so many things I hate about it. My dad's in radio, P.S., so I feel like I can say this because it's sort of, I'm talking about family. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's a great, it's a great venue, uh, a great thing to do, whatever. But uh, it's part of life. And, but here's the thing. So I'm, I knew that I had these interviews. It was part of my job as a writer to, as, with public, published writer to talk about the books on the radio, but it's not my favorite thing to do. And after one particular interview one morning, um, and what I do is I'll go into my bedroom and I lock the door and I turn on the fan because I don't want anyone walking in and I don't want anyone overhearing me. And by anyone, I mean my husband. Like what? Nobody's even home. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. But still, it's just this thing. I just have to be in my little place. So I did that and I was on the radio with like, you know, the greater Chicago area and, um, and it was live, and live is a whole nother thing, um, as you know, but, 
but they, I remember they asked me a question and I don't know what I think they're going to ask me why I get so nervous. It's not like they're gonna be like, you know, what's the square root of 10,089? They're asking me about my work. Like this is my book that I wrote. I should be able to answer these questions. It's not hard, but it feels hard. And so they asked a question and sure enough, they may as well have asked me the square root of blah, 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 because I had no answer. And it wasn't just like, I was able to sort of, well, and da, da, da. It was literally like, oh, I need to vacuum my bedroom. It was like blank. I was disconnected. It was over and dead air in Chicago. And I remember somehow I got through that and I hung up the phone and I've like pitted it out. You know what I'm saying? And I, the words came, she just got that. The words came in my head and out of my mouth. I am not cut out for this. I'm not cut out. And I tried to distract myself with vacuuming the floor that needed vacuuming and doing the dishes. And I remember just sort of pausing and, and thinking it again and saying it again. I can't do this job. This is part of the job. I'm not cut out for this. And do you know that as sure as I said that out loud, um, I heard a sentence in my head and I'm, I say it's the Lord. I don't know. Maybe it was just me getting smart for a second. But the, the, the sentence was, no, you're not cut out. You have been placed in. You've been placed in me and, and I am your sufficiency. And so I'm not asking for beautiful work. I'm asking for weakness. And I'm not asking for your strength. I'm asking for your vulnerability. And I'm not asking for you to show up and be amazing. I'm simply asking you to show up. And so, so I sat there and I thought, okay, well, I can't argue with that. I'm not cut out, but I've been placed in and so have you been. Another voice, courage, is showing up even when I have reasons not to. One of those reasons is, in my head, I think someone else can do this better. The truth is, someone else can do this better, 100%. And P.S., if you're someone who thinks that you're the one who can do it the best, you've got bigger problems than courage. <laughs> so we'll just leave that. Um, there are things that you need to think about and pray over. Someone else can do this better. Yes, someone else can do it better. And the thing is, they probably already have. And when you're a writer like me, you can see on Amazon all the people who have and all the stars they've gotten and, and all of that and all the great reviews. They've done it and it's over. What do I have to offer? It's been done before. But I, one of the, one of the people in my life, Steve Lynham, he's in Greensboro. I don't know if any of you know him. He's a great counselor, a mentor, and sort of a spiritual director type of friend for my husband and I. And he, I, I said these words to him, like, what or what am I even? What I just basically told you, someone else could do this better. And, and, and I'm gonna offer his words to you today as a gift because I think that's what art is. It's receiving something, it changes you, and then you offer it to someone else. And this is what he said, I wrote it down. He said, there's no new truth, dear. He calls me dear. He calls everyone dear, but I pretend like it's just me. All truth belongs to God. Sometimes you simply need to hear someone else say it. That's what I hope I'm doing for you. And that's what your voice will be for them. It may have already been said, painted, done, sung, whatever. But you painting it, saying it, doing it, singing it, may be the first time someone finally gets it. They may have heard the same words 25 times before, but finally when you say it, it just comes out in a way and it hits them in a way that they're finally ready to receive it. So say it anyway. And the last one, reason why it can be really hard to show up with courage and to practice courage and to show up when you don't feel ready is my favorite one because it happens all the time. And I think we all hear this voice. I've heard it just this morning before I stood up in front of you. And the voice said this, who do you think you are? 
Who do you think you are? And I, I, I would love to talk to you if you've never heard that voice. Could you teach me something? I would love to because I think we've all heard the voice and, 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 and I've learned there's probably a million ways to combat it, but two ways I've learned that I can tell you right now. One way is this, pay attention to what you're doing when you hear that voice. Because guess what? That voice doesn't come when you're just flipping around through the TV. Anybody can do that. But when you hear, who do you think you are? It's probably because you're on the edge of risk. It's probably because you're getting ready to step out into something that you were made to do, but you have fear and that's normal and that's okay. And it might not go away, but you can't let that fear rule. Who do you think you are? Pay attention to what you're doing. There's a hint to the art that's alive within you. And the second thing is answer that question. Who do you think you are? If you know Christ, you are made in the image of God and you are not an image maintainer. You are an image bearer. You're not a job doer. You're here with a job to do. And so you don't have to simply uh, figure out who you are and try really hard to do it and try to impress everyone around you. You simply show up as you are fully alive in this moment. That's who you are made in his image and you bring his presence with you wherever you go. So turn that sentence around and make it one for the win. Stephen Pressfield, anybody heard of him? He wrote The War of Art. It's an excellent book. Um, he can get a little foul mouthy, you know, just little warning for you. But he says this, self-doubt can be an ally. This is because it serves as an indicator of aspiration. It reflects love, love of something we dream of doing and desire, desire to do it. If you find yourself asking, am I really a writer? Am I really an artist? Chances are you are. The counterfeit innovator is wildly self-confident. The real one is scared to death. Sometimes courage is simply being willing to admit what I fear. And maybe even not moving at all, but simply being where you are, showing up with what you have to offer and recognizing that this, you're scared to death. And that takes some courage. The fourth way, cultivate generosity. I don't mean give your stuff away for free. <laughs> Sometimes I think being generous only, only generosity, all it means is sacrificing yourself for the good of someone else. It's giving up what I want so that somebody else can have something. And maybe that is what it means. But maybe it also means this. What about those words that only you can offer? What about that thing within you that's tucked away? What about those desires that you have to move towards something that you can't quite put into words? What about if you have this weird, quirky skill with fabric and you don't know, I mean, it doesn't make sense and you can't put it into a job description, but you have it and it's there. And what about if you, you have this room and you stare at it all the time and you want to do all these things in it and it's different, but you're just like, nah, I don't want to, that's, that's not a thing. Or what if your soul feels, feels moved to shape something and to lead something or, or to, to, to teach people or to move into the lives of people in a way that maybe you don't see anybody else doing it? What about your passion for business and your hands the itch to create something or, or to start something new that hasn't been there before. What if being generous means paying attention to all of those things and being willing to dig deep within to figure out what they are and offer them in the presence of God and others for their benefit and God's glory? What if that is being generous? I believe that Christ looks different coming out of each of us. And I used to believe when I was my good girl black and white days I thought Christ had to look the same. And that's why I was afraid when I would meet someone who looked different because it, that's not Jesus, right? Because you don't look just like me. But I'm learning that uh, Christ is within us so that he can come out. And when he comes out of us, that's 
that's art. And that the way he comes out of us is through our unique personalities. And what, is ma- what makes up our personalities except for our desire? And I know sometimes in Christian circles, people are like, well, you, a desire. We are desperately wicked, the heart, you know. And you just have to know that. But, but my Jesus died for my sins and he rose back up again. And guess what? He gave me a new heart. And so maybe we don't have to be so afraid of desire after all. And maybe we can bring our desire into the presence of Jesus and trust that he is going to sort out the first and the second things. And he's gonna let us know, hey, Lord, I wanna pursue this thing. And if it's not the thing that you would have me pursue, you're gonna let me know. But otherwise, I'm gonna just trust that you're with me as I bring it before you because I am simply yours and I belong to you and I bear your image and I wanna bear it into the world. What if we trusted him enough that he is, that he is smart enough, that he is intuitive enough, and he is, that he is on time and we're not gonna miss it and we're not gonna miss him him and he wants to come out through us in a unique way and his coming out of your personality is going to look really different and I hope it does than coming out of mine that's the art of everyday living that's what it looks like so cultivate generosity um what what might that look like and and I think in pictures sometimes my husband does even more than I do which comes in real handy when I'm writing things because I'm like give me a picture for this and he's good at it but one thing that I think about of offering, of giving what we have to offer, of cultivating my generosity is this, live like a hostess. Live your life as if you're a hostess. What do I mean? This is what I mean. When we have a party and we send out invitations and we, we send them out to whoever we want to invite to the party. And then people, people, some RSVP yes, and they're gonna come. And other ones say, no, no, thank you. I can't make it. When people show up at our door and they want to eat the food we have prepared, We do not say, excuse me, I have something I need to take care of and go in the other room and call all the people who said, no, thank you, I don't want it and say, well, why don't you want it? Well, why didn't you want to come to my house? Don't you like me? Don't you like what I have to offer? I promise you this food is really good. We don't do that. No, a hostess sends out the invitations and then serves the people who show up. That's all you can do. And that's what we do with our art. That's what we do with our lives. And and we cannot spend time worrying about the people who said, no, thank you. And especially we can't spend time if we worry about the people who said no thank you and then we're really mean about it or really insulting because guess what? They do that too, internet. <laughs> Remember when the internet was like a fun place to be? And, you know, It's not that way anymore. Those days are over. But there are some people who are showing up at your table and for you right now, it might be your family. But there they are and there they sit and there they will stay. What do you have to offer them? cultivate generosity. The art of everyday living means there is no hoarding here. There is no manipulation. There is simply offering it and trusting that what you've already made is going to be accepted or rejected, but that's not up to you. That's not your job. And that leads to the next way, way five, release outcomes. Offering myself as in any way at all feels counterintuitive. It really does. What feels natural for me is to not offer, to hide, to, um, to, to be in a corner, to not be looked at, don't look at me. I ha- and I like cave into myself and it's this really creepy thing. But when you offer your work, you offer it all and you don't get to say how someone receives it. 
Um, I know a lot of people say that it's really hard to start. And I think that's true, depending on the season of your life that you're in, you might be in a place where you're on the cusp of starting something new, whether that be a work of art, like we traditionally think, whether that maybe be a new relationship or a new job, or you're thinking about having a baby or a proposal at work. Um, I don't know what it is for you, but sometimes the hardest part is starting. How do I start? I just, if I could just get started and sometimes momentum does carry us through. But one thing I've experienced, I've written several books now and and one of the hardest things for me is finishing. Because when you finish, then, you're, then it's as if you're saying, it's almost like, it's almost like this, um, uh, what's the word? La, la, la. It's like you're saying, I'm done, that's as good as it can get, when I know it could be better. And so to say I'm done feels like I never wanna say I'm done. So how many of you have unfinished pieces that you've never shared with anybody? Because they're not done yet. I'm not ready to share them yet because they're not perfect. And we would say, well, I'm not a perfectionist, but we really are. I mean, come on. And, and sometimes that can be good, but not when it keeps us from sharing and offering and showing up fully alive as the people that we are created to be. And so for me, finishing has been the hard part because then what that says is now it's out of my hands. I know what I've written, but I don't yet know what I've said until you read it. And so the reader and the receiver is a part of the process, but it's a part I can't control. And I don't like that. But living, living life artfully is releasing those outcomes and knowing that Christ doesn't, doesn't ask me to control outcomes. He simply asks me and he asks you to come out. Are you ready to come out? Are you willing to come out? Do you trust that I'm gonna come out with you? I think about that with my work. I also think about that with my parenting. I love my kids and I teach them what I can teach them and I offer them what I can offer them. But guess what? I don't get to say how they receive it. And sometimes I like, I have these great things and I tell them and then a week later I'll be like, remember when we talked about that and it was so meaningful and they're like, no, they don't remember. And that was my moment, my influential moment. And then they do remember the stuff I don't want them to remember. No, that didn't happen. But see, I, I don't get to say I have to release outcomes. And the truth is I do the best job I can and so do you, but they may still need counseling and there's nothing we can do about it. We have to release the outcomes into the hands of God and trust that Christ is gonna take care, not just of the outcomes, but of those who are in the line of it because my children's perception is actually their reality and I, I can't change that. But I can trust Christ and that makes all the difference. A sixth way is to rehearse wonder. Um, a couple years ago when my son, my son's in first grade now, but he used to be in preschool. And so he was home with me when it was time to pick up my girls from school. We live within walking distance of the elementary school. And so he and I would leave the house together at 2.20 to pick up the girls to be there by 2.35, 15 minutes. That's what I knew how long it took. So we would leave. And every single afternoon, I heard myself saying, hurry up, come on, hurry up. We gotta get, we gotta get the girls. Come on, hurry up because his little five-year-old hands couldn't help but pick up and touch the wonder. He found a stick and it's the most amazing stick he's ever seen. And there's a bug and there's a dead bird and there's a leaf and a tree. And it's like, come on, we've got to get your girl. Your sisters are gonna be scared, you know, if I'm not there on time and the whole thing. And then one day I had an epiphany. It was a really great parenting moment. I thought, why don't I just leave earlier? This is such a great idea. But isn't it true that sometimes we have to schedule in time for the wonder? Sarah Young says, hurry keeps the heart earthbound. And I wonder if the opposite is also true that um, slow escorts the heart to heaven, maybe. 
And so I decided to schedule in time for the wonder. I don't know when play became, became so much work, but I know uh, it has. And I know when my kids ask me to play with them and they want to play house, they always want me to be the mommy. And I want to be the sleeping dog <laughs> or the sick infant because then I can rest and that's fantastic. But they always want me to be the mommy, which is what I do every day. I can't convince them otherwise. I have to fight to stay engaged in the moments. And so really, if you think about it, wonder is for the fighters. Wonder is not for the rainbow and unicorn lovers. Wonder is for the fighters who say, no, this life is important. And these people I love and my truest intention and my truest desire is to live it with them and among them and to see God's creation with new eyes every day. But I can't, I don't do that naturally. I have to fight for it. And I think our art is better for it when we're willing to fight for it. Wonder slows us down to remember what we're made for, to be human, to be small and to reflect the glory of God. You are an image bearer with a job to do not a job doer with an image to maintain. Bear his image. Rehearse wonder. The seventh way, let things grow. I tell stories about my kids a lot. I hope that's okay. Sometimes it helps to stick in with a story. Uh, after school one day, I gave them a snack. It was a snack of apples. Um, and I have that fun pampered chef thing that you go, and it, all the apples come out and eight evenly sliced pieces. It's fantastic. Ten. It's ten, actually. Um, and so they were sitting around doing their thing. And um, sometimes, I don't know, but um, the worst thing you can do in the world if you're a mother is to allow a seed to make its way into the plates of your children. And so somehow there was a seed that made its way onto the plate. And I sort of realized it and I'm getting ready to take care of it. But then I see, it's like the light bulb comes on over one of their heads and they had an idea. And so um, I saw, I don't remember which one it was, but one of them scooped up the seed and they all kind of really quickly talked and they stood up from the table, scooted back chairs, ran outside to the front yard and one of them grabbed a soup spoon on the way out. And they ran out to the front yard and I watched them through the window as they started to dig, dig. And then they dropped their little seeds into the hole and they covered it up. And then they all stood back and looked at it. And I know what they were thinking. And so do you. They were imagining tomorrow after school, they were going to come home. There was going to be an apple tree and they were going to have a swing and they were going to eat these huge apples tomorrow after school. That is not what happened. The next day after school, they came home and they ran to that spot and they looked and there was nothing. And so they came inside and they watered it. They thought, oh, I'll get water and pour the water. And then they looked again. Nothing. But it was almost like in little minds, you know, wonder to them. It w they would not have been surprised if it had sprouted. That's what's crazy. But it's like they put their little seeds there and they said, okay, here is where we're burying our hope. And here is where we're going to wait for it to grow. And I don't know what hope you have buried. I don't know what you've planted in the ground. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that you're waiting for it to grow. And I also know that it may be true that you might not see that tree in your lifetime. And I know that that can be really hard and that can be heartbreaking. I know it is for me uh, when I've experienced things where I've thought this is gonna be a thing and it turns out not to be a thing. I've read that verse in uh, Zechariah that says, do not despise the days of small beginnings for the Lord delights to see the work begin. And I've thought, yes, small beginnings. That's how small beginnings start. But guess what? What if small beginnings only ever lead to small endings? Are we gonna be okay with that? 
Am I willing to let things grow and to let them grow in their natural way and not try to manufacture crazy steroid growth faster than, than, than growth is meant to happen? Am I willing to let things grow? Maybe you are an all or nothing person and you think that if you don't have time, like the woman, I don't have time to indulge in my wildest dreams, you know, season of life. Maybe that's you and you think that uh, I don't have time to finish something perfectly, then it's not worth doing at all. Uh, But I'm here to tell you that small movements still count. Showing up scared still counts. Admitting your questions counts. Waiting with hope counts. Little offerings count. Listening in the silence counts. And finding your courage in the midst of your fear, all that counts is art. Measurable results don't always determine the success of something. I just wanted to close with a couple things. One is um, Larry Crabb in his book, Real Church. He says this about art, which I love. Life is art and art demands creativity. It cannot tolerate formulas. Building a good marriage is art. Handling relational conflict is art. Trusting God with your sexual addiction or depression or fear of disapproval is art. God doesn't provide recipes to cook up delicious life. Because he can't. Machines are beautiful. Machines aren't beautiful. Waterfalls are. We're not machines. We're more like waterfalls who are persons. When I'm living like a machine, I can feel it in my chest. I can feel it in my jaw right here. I clench my jaw at night. And when my life is, when I'm moving along in my life like a list, I can, I, my body tells me so. Our bodies don't lie. I have a pain between my shoulders sometimes. I feel a little robotic today if you wanna be, if you wanna know the truth. Um, Things like this are hard. It's hard to get up and to talk and to be fully alive in the presence of strangers, but really we're not strangers and that's what makes it okay. But I know the new way, the small way of Christ. And I know that it sounds a lot more like a lyric than a list for all of us, everyone in here. And I hope that maybe some of these ways, being where you are, using what you have, practicing courage, cultivating generosity, releasing outcomes, rehearsing wonder, and being willing to let things grow. I hope maybe these things have have just begun maybe a little bit to poke awake the art that's alive within you that you arrived here with. When anxiety sneaks into the back door of your mind, refuse to let it in and instead lean into hope. So here's to embracing the art of everyday life so that we may become more fully ourselves in the presence of Christ and of others. And uh, with that, I wanna close by reading just a portion in this book by John O'Donohue. It's a book of blessings. It's called To Bless the Space Between Us. And I'd like to close it as a prayer. Um, If you wanna close your eyes, you can or not. But this one is for courage. When the light around you lessens and your thoughts darken until your body feels fear turn cold as a stone inside. When you find yourself bereft of any belief in yourself and all you unknowingly leaned on has fallen. When one voice commands your whole heart and it is raven dark. Steady yourself and see that it is your own thinking that darkens your world. Search and you will find a diamond thought of light. Know that you are not alone and that this darkness has purpose. Gradually, it will school your eyes to find the one gift your life requires, 
hidden within this night corner. Invoke the learning of every suffering you have suffered. Close your eyes. Gather all the kindling about your heart to create one spark. That is all you need to nourish the flame that will cleanse the dark of its weight or festered fear. A new confidence will come alive to urge you toward higher ground where your imagination will learn to engage difficulty as its most rewarding threshold. Lord in heaven, we recognize that you, Jesus Christ, are that spark. You are that light within us, and we thank you for it, and I pray we would not be afraid of it, that we would embrace your making of us and move into the world as fully alive artists, offering what we have where we are. Thank you for making it possible in your presence. We pray in your name, amen. This has been the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. We'll see you next time. Thank you.